Welcome to this week's edition of Dugout Dish Podcast. I'm Andy Kiriakides, joined by my co-host Keith Glasser. Keith, how you doing? Great. How are you? Good. Excited. We got a an esteemed guest on today. We got the assistant coach at the University of Notre Dame, uh, Ryan Munger, joining us. So, Ryan, how are you? I'm good, fellas. How are y'all? Appreciate y'all having me on. Yeah, looking forward to it, man. Excited to have you here, Ryan. Before we get into pi- uh, firing off questions. Give the give the listeners a little bit of a rundown how you've gotten to to where you are in Notre Dame at this point. You've you've done some pretty cool stuff at a couple different spots, and I uh, got quite a bit of baseball experience. So so lay it out there for them. Yeah, I uh, I had my playing career at Duke. I was there for four years and got to go through a little bit of a coaching change. Uh, coach Pollard was my my head coach my senior year. Um, and he was a, he was a big reason I got into coaching and he was the one who, who really helped me get, get me started. Um, you know, my senior year kind of walked in and he was like, all right, Munger, you know, what's, what's life after Duke look like for you? And when you're as bad of a hitter as I was in college, you knew professional baseball wasn't going to be a realistic option. So, um, I said, I said, you know, there are a couple of things I was looking at, but coaching was one that I, I wanted to get into. And so, he was like, all right, like, we'll see how this fall goes. I'll get to know you. And, you know, if I think you could be a good fit for it, then we'll do it. And I'll introduce you to coaches throughout the spring. And, um, you know, we kind of met again uh, around Christmas break and he's like, Mung, I think you got a feel for this. I think you could be a decent coach. Um, so he's like, when we play guys, play opposing teams in the spring, I'll introduce you to the head coach and just say, you know, as the year concludes, you know, you're going to be looking to be a volunteer assistant somewhere and just kind of wanted to get, get your name out there. And um, it was cool for me. Got to meet a lot of coaches, kind of a, a different vibe. You know, you're trying to get ready to play and win some ball games, but you're also trying to, you know, market and network yourself. But um, the the job that came open for, for me was at, at Davidson, um, got to work for Dick Cook. And that was actually where coach Pollard played was at Davidson. He played for coach Cook and then coach Pollard actually came back and coached at Davidson coach with coach Cook as well. And so when that job came open, Pollard was, you know, like, Hey, thanks. This would be a great spot for you to get started, work with coach Cook. And, you know, coach Pollard gave me a good recommendation. So coach Cook literally interviewed myself and that was it. So um, he pretty much gave me the job, did an interview just to make sure I wasn't, wasn't too far out there. Um, And, you know, coach Cook just kept working with me. I got to work with Rucker Taylor there. Um, And so after, after about a year and a half, they were able to promote me from volunteer up to a, an assistant. And I was there in that position for a couple of years. And then in 2018, coach Cook retired. And from there, coach uh, Rucker Taylor took over the program, became the head coach, and he promoted me to the, to the recruiting coordinator. So got to serve in that capacity for four years. Um, And we were in the A-10 and for, you know, a large part of that VCU was, was the top dog in the league. And, um, just kind of had some mutual admiration for what those guys had done in that program. And, you know, this summer or last summer when, when coach Stifler got the Notre Dame job, um, you know, he just kind of noticed what we had done at Notre at Davidson. And, you know, we went to the supers with two and a half scholarships and 
Then we ended up winning the league in 2022 for the first time in the history of the program. And so he gave me an opportunity to, to come to Notre Dame. And that was obviously an opportunity I couldn't say no to and just got done with my first year. And, um, you know, it's been great. Um, you know, the facilities are awesome. Just the school is, you know, it's Notre Dame um, kind of speaks for itself. Um, and then the coaches, uh, it's been great for me. I've been able to learn a lot. They've been awesome people. Um, you know, stiff is, Stiff is awesome. I mean, just great personality, great baseball mind. Um, and he gives me a ton of responsibility, lets me coach, lets me be me. And that's about all I can ask for. So um, I guess that's my coaching tree, I guess, in a little bit of a nutshell. Yeah, I remember the first time we met, you came up to work William and Mary camp. <laughs> we, had, yep. we had a grand old time with Case and Murph and uh, a few other guys. That was uh, my first introduction to you. And we've, uh, been pretty good friends ever since. So, um, Keith, you want to kick it off? You want to want to start this this question barrage off? Sure. I met Ryan on um, <clears throat> Field Three in um, Woodland, California. He was hitting fungos, and Soups was like, "Who's on your field? Anyone good?" I was like, "I don't know, some dude dressed in Davidson stuff." Like, I have no idea who this cat is. He was like, "That's a really cool kid, cool dude. You should introduce yourself." Exo facto, Ryan and I are really close now. <laughs> Shout out to Coach Suplee there. Um, yeah, so, you know, essentially the, the first question that we we always kind of kick it off, we have a, a front end and a back end question that essentially stays the same and everything in between. We just kind of lob to you to to really get some recruiting questions out to our, our listeners. But um, the first question we kind of always kick off with, you know, how like how do you guys go about identifying players at Notre Dame to recruit? Um, probably falls under, you know, a couple different branches. One will be just connections. Um, you know, it's from the other summer ball programs, from guys like yourself who just say, Hey, you know, Munger, here's a player that we think is good. And we think he is, you know, worth Notre Dame's time, worth y'all looking at and evaluating. Um, you know, another way is just kids reaching out. Um, I think that helps. Um, and then probably the third one is just kind of the, the randomness of <laughs> high school recruiting. Um, so some of it is just scrolling through Twitter and you come across a video that, you know, PBR or PG put out or, you know, some other service. Um, and then sometimes you're just looking across rankings and just trying to come across some names and maybe you're looking for a specific position or, you know, maybe you're looking for a skill set. You're trying to see maybe some 60 times or exit velocity just to kick the tires and see if you can't come up with something. Yeah, you mentioned the rankings, and we always we get asked this quite a lot. I think it's – I'd love to get your take on either the significance or the insignificance of that or what the rankings mean to you when you're going through that stuff and, like, how it plays out in the end result of the recruiting process. Because, you know, parents and, and players are always, you know, I got this ranking on PG or I got this ranking on PBR, and we get slightly different answers, but I'd love to get your take on – like what the significance of those rankings are for you? Um, I think first off, like if you get a kid to commit, who's got a good ranking, like it helps your ego feel a little bit better um, as part of it. Like if I, if we're being honest, um, the rankings, I guess sometimes is a starting point of like, Hey, other people think this guy is a good player. 
Um, and sometimes that's, you know, that, that does matter. Um, because you want to, you want to recruit successful players. You want to recruit guys that other people think are good. Now, again, you still have to think they're good, still have to believe that there's more that can be had out of those guys. But from a, a simplistic version of recruiting, like usually good players are thought to be good players by a lot of different people. So if you start getting enough people to say that you're a good player, like you probably are. So, um, you know, it has some value. Um, and it's a, it's a starting point, but at the end of the day, like you're still going to rely on your own coaching staff's evaluations of said player, um, and make sure he's a fit within your program and kind of what you're looking for. And then at the end of the day, it's, you know, recruiting rankings are more just to make everybody feel like they're doing a good job and give you a little bit of an ego boost. <laughs> such a good way to put it. Really. It's <laughs> such a good way to put it. Um, no, it's an interesting take. It's a little bit different than what we've gotten from. It's very similar to what we've gotten from some other guys, but you brought up a good point that the one value is, is that if a lot of people think a guy's pretty good, he's probably pretty good. Um, and that there is, you know, kind of that crowdsourcing uh, of that ranking. And yeah, if you're a top 10 player in the state of, you know, Virginia, like you're probably a really good player. Um, 100%. You guys did an awesome job at Davidson, right? And that's where you've done most of your recruiting. What are some of the key things in can I kind of focus on the hitting piece, like the positional group? Because I know that's something that, that's more your specialty with with hitters and, and uh, position players. But what are some of the key traits that you're looking for from a physical ability standpoint when you go out and watch a guy? Um, I guess let's start like offensively. Like, what are the, some of the things that you really key in on to figure out if a guy's got the ability to to be successful? Yeah, so I think part of that, like, I'll give my answer. I'm not going to say it's the right answer, but this was just kind of what we were looking for at Davidson and what we thought helped create a path for us being successful. But we wanted to see guys have feel for the strike zone, bounce within their bounce within their swing, and then strengthen their hands. Like those are the the three things that, you know, we talked about as coaches and because there, there's not a ton of metrics where you can, you know, compare high school kids. Like there's not a ton of, you know, data that is apples to apples. So for us, there's always going to be some subject subjectiveness to recruiting. And so for us, like balancing the swing just means like, are you able to keep your body in a relatively good athletic position? Simple enough. Like, if you can't do that, you're going to struggle with body control. You're going to struggle to make adjustments and you're probably going to struggle to hit feel for this strike zone. That's, you know, simple enough as it is, but in today's game, like if you can swing at strikes and take balls, like you are going to have a good shot to be able to hit. I mean, the stuff is so good as it is nowadays. And you watch guys in Omaha, you're seeing a lot of guys are starting the ball in the zone to work out of the zone or they're starting the ball out of the zone to work back into the zone. So it's, it's, it's not easy to hit. And so guys who can just make the correct decisions that in my opinion, has the ability to translate into being a good hitter. And especially if you get to evaluate a guy versus a couple of quality arms and he's still making the right decisions like that, that does go a long way with me. Um, we offered a kid a couple of years ago, who had a really successful year at Davidson kid went over for five, and had three strikeouts and three of them, all three of those strikeouts were looking and we offered him right after that game. He's like, 
I played terrible. I was like, no, you didn't. I was like, all three strikeouts were looking and you took correct pitches. Like if they were just abysmal, you know, summer ball calls, I'm just like, I don't, you shouldn't have swung at those pitches. Like, I was like, you had a couple of pitches that you could have done some damage on and you hammered them, you hammered them foul. So again, that showed me you had some strength. You were making the right decision. You just didn't have a good results day that day, but your process I still thought was right. And so, you know, that's an example sometimes of, Hey, the results don't always match up with your process that day and kind of what coaches are looking for. Um, and then strengthen the hands. You know, I think you have to be able to see that now because so many summer ball tournaments are with wood bats. You don't get to see guys hit with metal quite as often as you'd like and kind of what guys are going to do when they get to get to campus. But the guys who can actually drive a ball through the gap versus the ball that kind of lands in the gap and doesn't get all the way to the fence, like that's just strength. And, you know, everyone says, oh, you get him in a college weight room, he'll get strong and he'll be good. It's like, I want strong guys who then get into a college weight room and then get even stronger because like in today's game, as I mentioned, swinging at strikes and taking balls is a huge thing. And then hitting the ball freaking hard goes a long way. Like if you can do those two things, like you've got a shot to be a really, really quality college baseball hitter, in my opinion. How much has it changed now that you're in Notre Dame or are those still the three things that you're looking for, you might just be looking at maybe a slightly different athlete, like, or are you still painting that same picture because those things are valuable no matter where you are? I think, I think those, those three things are are still applicable. Um, I think we are trying to evaluate a little bit more of a, of a different athlete um, at Davidson, you know, usually our top couple guys could, could play defense, could run and could hit. Um, but we weren't able to get, you know, full class of that. Like it was just hard, limited scholarships, meeting the academic rigors, blah, 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 blah. At, at Notre Dame, I think our doors are just open to a little bit bigger talent pool that that does allow us to, you know, maybe get some more high-end runners, high-end defenders. Um, you know, a great example was the, the three guys who played in the infield for us this year were legit defenders and all there there are three short stops playing second short and third and so we we had the ability to defend at a really high level because we just kind of took the old adage of and again this is previous coaching staff got those guys here actually two coaching staffs got those guys here as well but you know it's just quality athletes who could defend they can hit and do all the things and that just allows you to have some some level of success with that interesting i like to take away with the kid not having a great day and not realizing that what he did was still really good because we're yeah. in such a it's such a re- results driven thing. And these a lot of times, I the kids definitely get caught up in it. It's like, well, I was, you know, I was zero for four today, and sometimes it's just really not that simple. Like to your point, like you yanked the ball foul on a pitch that you should have swung at. Like you showed me, you got bat speed. Um, yep. I heard a, a buddy of ours the other day talk about looking for guys who can elevate the ball pull side. I was yep. like, I've never really heard it term like that, but after we broke it down, like, yeah, it makes complete sense. It means you got hand strength, you've got hand speed, and you can you can get the barrel out. And you know, that's a vital part of being able to hit velocity and and uh be able to handle, you know, good pitching. So no, that's uh Logan Robbins here at Notre Dame, he talks about that all the time of like being able to have low ball flight to the backside and then being able to backspin the ball in the air pull side is, you know, usually coming to terms to a, a good bat path and allowing you to square up the ball consistently. 
So, because it's at the end of the day, it's going to be hard to consistently backspin the ball high up in the air for level of success, you know, to the backside. But if you're going pull side, that's usually where you've got some strength. You're getting into the ball and, and going from there. I like that. I like that a lot. What would you say, Ryan, the, the, the level of emphasis you put on metrics when you guys are evaluating? Whether it's exit velo, um, how hard guys throw, what their 60 time is, trackman rap soto data, like how much emphasis do you guys put on that in the process? Um I think there has to be some level of emphasis to it. Uh, I think I think it's easier to apply some of the metrics when you're looking at guys via the portal more so than the high school rankings. Uh, just because you feel like the data you're getting is is more consistent, um, and you're able to get it through through one platform, and you just feel like it's a little bit more accurate information. When when you're evaluating high school pitchers, I think I think that stuff is important. What is tough is it feels like facilities and pitchers they do a good job in high school of they can basically build and prep their bodies to be legit for one weekend. And all of a sudden they pop a 93, but then the next week, like they're back down to 87. And so that's where you kind of have to be a little careful of the velocity piece. Um, And I'm hoping with the new recruiting landscape that we can get a few more evaluations on pitchers before process actually starts occurring. And then you're like, okay, I saw a guy actually have four outings and he was X velocity these three times. And he was this one, this one time. So like you, you feel like you get a little bit more of an accurate picture with those metrics. Um, and it's the same thing with, you know, the spin rate and the induced vertical break or horizontal break. Like those things matter because they do make you harder to hit. Like if you, if you have some metrics that start falling in the, you know, top five percentile of college baseball, like that is going to translate at some point. Like we were, we were able to watch a 25 arm the other day and he was spinning a breaking ball between 3000 and 3,200 RPMs. Like we don't have anybody on our team right now who spins a breaking ball that hard. Like it's a good pitch. And his fastball was floating around 26, 2700, which again, is just, that's not what normal fastballs do. It's a big cut carry fastball. And like you talk to enough pitching coaches and they'll tell you like cut carry fastballs, like they're hard to hit. And that's not really something that you can teach guys to do. It's like they either kind of have it or they do. They don't have it. And then there might be some pitching coaches that can teach it out there. I don't know how to do it. I'm not a pitching guy. But, you know, so when you can find, you know, interesting metrics like that, that make you more unique and stand out like that that does give you a little bit of entry. Now, again, if you're a cut carry fastball at 84, like then it doesn't matter as much unless you're all of a sudden thinking, hey, this guy is 6'3 with a clean arm and he's 165 pounds. Like maybe this will make a jump. But at some point you've got to you've got to be able to hit a number that's like, okay, maybe can can 84 go to 87 by your junior year, or your senior year, and then can 87 go to 91 at some point. So it's all recruiting is always a little bit of a guessing game. So it's, it's never uh, apples to apples, your apples to oranges pretty, pretty consistently. And then for the hitters, I think exit velocity is important. That gets back to, to strengthen the hands. Um, so like you like to see, see those things for sure. Um, you know, I'm, 
I don't necessarily care about launch angle or things like metrics like that in the in the recruiting process. Like that's a process thing you can talk about with guys when you get your hands on them and they get to campus. But again, if you can if you can hit a ball 107 miles an hour off the bat in high school, like that's some strength that some college guys can't do. So that that should at least translate into you having some strength at the college level. So it does it does have some influence, but I'm not going to sit here and be like, Ooh, we have to get seven hitters who can all hit a ball over 105 miles an hour in high school or they're not good enough for us. Like, I don't think that's very good recruiting if that's the metric that we're setting. No, I, I, I agree. And I think that it's different guys are going to do things differently Right? like, you're not necessarily generally speaking, like you're not just going to bring in seven bangers like that. They're going to be one Oh seven all the time. Like there's going to be some dudes that can run a little bit that are going to be a little less juice from that. I, you know, I like, we get asked all the time, just like those types of questions where it's like, you know, well, he's, he's not, he's not triple digits off the, you know, on exit view. Like, yeah, that's okay. But he's on the barrel all the time and he's going to eventually grow into his body and he'll like, he's going to start to hit the ball harder. Like it'll be okay. But I, I think a lot of times, like you see those numbers get thrown around all the time, and you know it, it's people kind of live and die by those numbers. Parents sometimes and kids live and die by those numbers, and I think that sometimes it's not it's not the end all be all, you know. And I've I've gotten on my soapbox on here before, and I, I I won't go too down too far down this road. But you as a catcher and myself, like the pop time to me is one of the most overrated ones. Like you see people are like, oh, it was a one eight four. Like then you should be in the show, dude. Like. You're not a one eight four. Like you're not. Like you might be one eight four, but you know it, it, you threw it. You know seven feet high, and the 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 kid caught it. But like he still has to catch it, come down and tag. Like you're a two five. Like sorry, but you know I'll get off my soapbox on that one. But uh, it's more like that. Like that one specifically for me, especially when I coach. Like I hated like it, because there's no other thing that you can really evaluate a catcher with in a showcase setting, right? Like they're not. There's no metrics in a showcase setting for receiving. So it's like, oh, let's right. see your pop time. And then you cheat, you know, yeah. we go glove-sided high and we just, you know, oh, yeah, he's a 1-5. No, you're not. Nobody get out of here. I, I'm over this. Oh, sorry. <laughs> there, there, there's nothing that makes you feel like a worse catching coach. When all of a sudden <laughs> right? Kids come in, they're like, yeah, coach, like I pop a 187. And then all of a sudden the first time you get him on the watch, hey, nice job, man. I was 204. And they're like, <laughs> Coach, I got two tenths worse. I was like, no, like you'll no. throw out thir- you'll throw out thirty percent of base runners. You're actually going to throw out a lot more guys. Yeah, like you're in the tag zone now. Yes. If that, so. if, that uh, if it's on the bag at two zero, you will throw away a heck of a lot of runners out. Especially if you're if your guys are doing it what they're supposed to be doing on the mound. If Seth's teaching them how to hold runners, you guys will be in pretty darn good shape. If that dude's a consistent two zero. Hundred percent. That was that. That was what we were able to do this year. I mean, we were right around thirty percent caught stealing, and it's you know by no means were we elite throwers compared to you know some college catchers. But it was just like all we talked about was just be clean with our transfer and be accurate with our throws. Like we'll work on some of the other things specifically that guys need, but in terms of what we're talking about holistically with the catchers, like stay clean here, be accurate there, you'll be just fine. The exit velocity is the one that always throws me off the most. And it's specifically because of when it's usually generated. Right. And if you had in-game readings, I think it'd be such an awesome metric. I think they're hard to get 
for high school kids. Like in college, when you, you know, you guys have all the data where you can track all that and, you know, you can see like, Hey, this guy's average velocity, you know, coming off the bat. Like I think that that has a ton of merit because that's a true metric of how often do you hit the ball hard, which at the end of the day is really just the only thing that matters as a hitter. But, um, the exit velocities and the showcase settings and stuff are always tricky to me because yeah, it's great. And I, Keith had mentioned this a couple, he's mentioned this in a couple of things. I think he put it really well. Is like, can you take that exit velocity into the game? Yep. Like, can you produce, can you do what you did off of the tee in that controlled environment, generate that bat speed, swing at the quality pitches, just like you were talking about. Like, can you take the ones you're supposed to take? Can you swing at the ones you're supposed to swing at? And can you deliver the barrel where you're going to get a similar result? And that's the tricky part for me. And I, I was really picky about this and had a couple really good hitting guys that I worked with. And the big thing was trying to see a guy take 15, 18, 20 at bats, because then you get that sample size to exactly what you're talking about. Like, can this guy see spin? Uh, can you, can he get to velocity without having to sell out for it? Right. Um, different well, stuff like that. Yeah. That, that's why I think, you see a lot of coaches who have gone to the portal. Like it's just easier because we can look at those, those metrics. Like we use true media. And so like, we'll look at barrel percentage. So barrel percentages, balls, you hit 95 miles an hour harder with a launch angle between 10 and 35, which traditionally means those are going to be extra base hits, you know, balls that you squared up really well. All right. Boom. So that's a, that's a metric of, you know, how much is that exit velocity playing game? Okay. Boom. Can I look at, I can look at chase rate so I can see it what percentage you're swinging at balls outside of the strike zone. And again, this is against college pitching and this is track man as data, which is pretty reliable. And so you start looking at a couple of those things and next thing you know, you're like, okay, maybe I wasn't able to see him all that much, but now I have this amount of data and metrics that are saying, you know, what he has done versus college pitching. So you feel like you're getting more, more known commodities. And there's not really a way for me to look at that information on high school guys. You know, I think having success in high school does count for something because then that's showing us that you've got the ability to be good and you've been productive. Um, but again, it's, you know, some high schools you're facing 88 consistently and some guys are facing 82 consistently. And so some guys are facing 82 with ball throwers and some guys are facing 85 with strike throwers. So it's, it, it's just, it's a lot harder to, to evaluate those high school guys and feel like you're getting the same types of evaluations on guys consistently. Do you think the new rule is going to help you? And you kind of alluded to it a little bit earlier, um, but do you think that that's going to help you get a much better evaluation on guys that you're interested in? Because you basically can't recruit anybody until August right. 1st after their junior year. Like, do you think that's going to be advantageous for you at like as, as somebody who's going to be out on the road evaluating guys, like, do you feel better about that as opposed to kind of the previous system where it was, you might have to make, you know, you go down to the futures game, you see a guy barrel up balls for two days and you might have to make a snap judgment. And you only saw that guy take five at bats because now everybody that you compete against is throwing out offers to that kid. Like, yeah. how do you feel about that? I think it should. Um, what the only thing that makes me nervous is anytime there's been been a rule change, there's always some people who are finding ways to take advantage of that rule change. And I, I don't know how to do that yet, but I think what you like, the rule is supposed to allow you to do that, right? Like 
okay, hey, these guys can't talk to anybody till till August 1st. Um, so we should be able to evaluate guys, you know, throughout the summer. And that should give us a good two months of evaluating guys and going from there. Um, but again, you still got to make sure you're recruiting enough guys because it's you're never going to you're never going to bat, you know, 1000 on guys that you're watching. So it's OK. How you know, how many guys can I get a bunch of evaluations on? And it's tough, too, because you're like, am I getting evaluations on guys that actually have interest in Notre Dame? You know, some guys, you know, aren't going to have that interest in Notre Dame and some guys might have interest in Notre Dame. You get a bunch of evaluations on them, but like because that contact is limited, like are they actually going to be on the right academic path that's going to get them into school as well? And so that's, you know, we felt like with the previous model, this the process was definitely sped up and it's like, hey, you know, recruiting processes could last three weeks and then it'd be done. You know, see them maybe once or twice, get them to campus, offer them, they make a decision, boom the process is over, you know, now it's, you know, Hey, you're going to try to evaluate these guys as often as you can, but you're also going to be dealing with a little bit less knowledge of the player, what he's looking for, how much he is a fit. So then it's, you know, you might hit on some of those guys and then you might whiff on some of those guys. And then you feel like you just wasted your time watching some of these guys. So it'll be interesting to see. I never really thought about it that way, but yeah, that's a that's an interesting wrinkle. Is that you? You're kind of, in some ways you're operating in the dark a little bit. Yeah. Like, are you going after a guy that has no interest in Notre Dame? Like, yeah. are you spending time evaluations on that guy? Yeah, and that's you know where I think us as coaches have to just we have to use our connections. We have to use guys like like you and Keith of like, hey, what does this kid actually want? Like, is, is it worth my time to come? recruit him to Notre Dame or is he not going to have the grades to come here or he doesn't have the interest in, you know, doing an academic school or, you know, whatever the reasons might be. And so I think, you know, as coaches now, we're just going to have to do a lot more homework, have a lot more conversations with coaches on the front end to try to get, get a feel for what these types of players are. Cause realistically, once August 1st hits, then it's just going to be an absolute frenzy. If, you know, offers visits everything's going to be going going crazy probably for some of these guys and some of these guys are going to be all right i'm going to take a bunch of official visits during the fall go watch some cool football games figure some things out and then go from there so it's and that's where again like you're not going to have a true feel for what the kid's going to want to do until you get on the phone with them and start to build a relationship with them it's going to be interesting to see how that all plays out it's every, everybody's first go around, so it'll be. Yeah, a, yeah and it's, it's gonna it's gonna impact. Gonna be interesting. It'll impact schools differently because, like I said, at Notre Dame, like our process could just it could be quicker. Whereas, like at Davidson, a lot of times, like I was recruiting kids for seven months um, because, again, like most of the time, kids weren't that wasn't their first school, and so like we had to sell them on it. We had to work on them over time, and eventually. They're like, hey, this is a good fit for me. I feel comfortable with the coaches. I feel comfortable with the school. You know, now it is the right fit for me. So I'll be interested to see how it impacts, you know, the non-Power Fives as well who have had a similar recruiting method or model. Um, so, again, they still might recruit the same way. Maybe not. Maybe it changes their their process as well. You mentioned social media a little bit earlier. Mm -hmm. How are you leveraging that? 
beyond just scrolling through it? Like, are there other pieces of the puzzle that you try to put together with a kid through social media? Do you use it for kind of a, like a character check? Like talk to us a little bit about how you guys leverage that. Yeah. Um, I feel like when social media was first getting started, I feel like you could run into some issues of guys not being aware of, Hey, coaches, you know, can't look at my social media. Now it's interesting. Like I'm an old wall at this point. So like, I, th- I still think Twitter is cool, but all the other high school guys are just on Instagram or something else. Like they just use Twitter as a, as a recruiting platform for them. So like it's, I haven't come across a guy in several years where I've seen their, their social media profile has been like, Oh man, that's interesting. Um, like that, 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 that that's, uh, there's some questionable, you know, things you're liking on Twitter or you're, you know, you're retweeting. So, um, you know, I think we typically take a glance at it, but you know, it's, I haven't, I haven't run into that near as much as maybe six or seven years ago. So I, I think, I think kids have definitely been, you know, educated on the importance of, you know, the perception that you put out on social media is an impactful one and can get you in trouble. You know, I, I still think kids show more of their true colors in games. I mean, just how they handle failure, you know, their interactions with their coaches, with their parents, post-game, pre-game, with their teammates. Like that's one, I think that's harder to hide. And it's just, it's easier to see when you're watching kids. So, cause I, I think that's, it's harder for kids to show their true nature when when you know things aren't going well, or sometimes you see their true nature when things are going well, um, both in a good and bad way. So um, that is that's probably where we get a better, truer sense of you know who the kid is. Yeah, we've talked about that on here, where like sometimes you you go and watch kids and they fail and they have a, a horrific outing. And you see them, you know, not complain about anything, just give me the ball and and they try to get four or five innings out of it and you you can get you can glean a little bit more information out of that versus the you know they just quit you know so and you know it's it's it goes both ways like you you could just get absolutely you know barreled all over the yard and if you quit and blame everyone else it's like all right I'm on to the next guy like I I'm not coaching that um you know or you know he he buckles down and gives you that bulldog and you're like yeah that's the kid I kind of want to I, I want to go down the road a little bit further with this kid. Um, you know, but I think it's interesting because, you know, we've, we've talked about this and a lot of other people have, and I've said it before, like the, the amount of information that you can get just in seeing the interaction with mom and dad, right? Like, it, and it's, it's wild. Cause I, I don't think a lot of kids really think about it that way. And I don't think families do, but there's there, I've said it on here. Like there, there's a specifically, I know there's one and I can think of it off the top of my head, but like there's people I've passed on when I was coaching because I saw the way they interact with their parents. It's like, if that's how you interact with them, like, what are you going to do with me? Like, I, I don't want to deal with that. There's enough kids out there that I can find that are going to be, you know, fun to be around and and not be a pain in the butt. Like you're a pain in the butt with your parents. Like, oh man, like on to the next, you know? And I think that that's like, you're right. It's, it gives you a lot more information post game, uh, you know, in seeing that stuff and how they interact with coaches and their teammates and, you know, when you ask the coach, like, hey, how is this kid with coaching? You know, I've had coaches be like, not very receptive. Like, okay, like, do I want you in my program at that point? You know, so it's 
I think the amount of information that that college coaches can gather from non-baseball things is is a lot more than what a lot of people generally think that it is. Right. Like it's it's more of like, a, hey, like, let's just, you know, if you go out and you're good enough, like they're going to, you know, you're going to be recruited. Like in most instances, yes. But, you know, the the Andy and I talk about this a lot, like the character piece is is a very big piece in the recruiting process. Like you you generally are going to want to be bringing in good people into your program because, you know, and we've had, you know, Eric and Traz and Jimmy and the amount of people we've had on there, like you spend so much time with each other during the season. Like it's, it sucks to spend time with people that like, you don't want to be around, you know, and that's where like that piece comes into it of like, okay, like, do I want to be around this kid all the time? You know, and that's a question that you're going to have to ask yourself as, you know, a coach, but also a player. Like, am I somebody that people want to be around? I think I completely agree. And I think it, a lot of times it leads to like what type of player you actually are too. Like you, as a coach, you always appreciate when a guy's like, yo, my bad, like give me the ball or like, Hey, I booted the ball at short or Hey, you walked, you were up Oh two in account. Then you walked a kid like, all right. You know, I, that's my bad. I lost focus. And then it's, you know, how do you respond? You know, what do you do after, after the mistake? What do you do after the, you know, the strike three look, what do you do in those situations? And, you know, I think that's something a lot that coach Stifler talks about with our guys of like, you know, how do you respond? Not necessarily to what you do well, but how do you respond to what either you or your teammates when y'all make a mistake? And, you know, I don't see it very often, but in the high school ranks and, you know, when you're recruiting guys, like if you see someone who's like, Hey, my bad, like help pick me up here. Or I'll pick it. I'll pick you up on the next one. Just little things like that. Like, or the guy does make a mistake and then he comes up in the next, next inning and he gets two out RBI. You're like, all right, the kid's got a little bit of grit, a little bit of toughness to him that like, that makes you think, Hey, he can handle the game because it, everybody talks about it. Like baseball is a game of failure, right? Like how do you handle failure? And it's all those cliche things, but like, you know, when it actually gets into the moment, like how do you handle failure? Do you get pissed and blame your teammates or do you sit there and hold yourself accountable and say, all right, I botched that. I got to find a way to pick myself up off the map, help pick up my team and go make the next play. And you know, that, that is a characteristic that, usually does translate usually you're not terrible with that in high school and good in college or vice versa so um i think that's you know you start talking about what are things that we're looking for and how do we figure out what type of guys are the right fits you know i think that that does play play an impactful role i mean the way i look at it is like if you're showing up to a game to go watch a kid you probably already think he's good enough right don't you notre dame you coach at davidson if you're going to watch a player it's probably a pretty good player. You're really trying to figure out, is that the right kind of kid at that point? And I think what you're talking about, like if I'm watching an arm, I'm okay if you give up a leadoff double. I'm there because you think you're good, or at least I was told that you were good. I'm okay if you get up a leadoff double. I want to see, do you act like the world just ended in like, you can't believe that you gave up a double or do you just get the ball back and you just make your next pitch? Um, and it's amazing how many coaches that we've talked to and we know, and we talk about it is that watching a kid fails, one of the final pieces of the, of the puzzle sometimes, like sometimes that's what confirms like that's the guy. Cause I saw him fail and he dealt with it properly. He dealt with it with a little bit of toughness. He was able to bounce back from it and do it successfully. Cause 
I mean, you know as well as anybody, having coached for you know for what close to ten years now, like kids are gonna they're gonna have a really tough moment when they're in college. That their freshman fall, they're gonna get lashed in an inner squad, and those moments can make or break a kid. And if you've already seen a kid handle it, like you feel much better about okay, like this kid's gonna be okay. Like we're gonna be able to we're gonna be able to get him to where he needs to go because he's got a little bit of that toughness in him. And I think a lot of times kids don't think about it in terms of how it just it affects the team and the program as a whole. Like as a coach, y'all know, like that guy who's always negative or can't handle failure, like he's exhausting to coach. Like you have to find a way to like pull him up constantly to just reach his potential or to be a good player and like make sure he's not bringing others down with him. It's like, hey man, you're a good player. Like act like it you're gonna get out you're gonna make a mistake like it's fine turn on a big league game you'll see them strike out you'll see them make errors like it's just part of it but like if you just start freaking losing your mind and you can't you can't handle some of these mistakes and then that leads to your teammate making a mistake or your teammate having a bad at bat then it's that's when you're becoming a true detriment to the team and the program is is interesting so i was in the dugout the other day uh at a workout I was out coaching first base. It was kind of fun. I hadn't been on the field in a while. So it was fun to like just be out, you know, talking to kids, working with kids. But it was interesting. The kids who were really good, and not to say that the other kids weren't good. There was a lot of good players on the field. But the kids that stuck out during the day, how they reacted after they got out was different than the other kids. And it was very interesting. They just kind of went about their business, went and put their bat back in the rack. They didn't really say much gloves off, got ready, and they were ready to go out. Some of the other guys who weren't quite as confident or maybe quite as successful, it was, can't believe I swung at that pitch. Like, what are you doing? Like, there was some negative talk there. And it was good because I was able to talk to those guys and say, hey, like, you know, that's okay. Like, let's let's find a better way to cope with this. But the guys who had some of that ability to bounce back from the failure, they didn't have that big up and down. It was, it was like a, it was kind of like a confidence thing that like they knew they were good. They didn't get the result that they wanted. It wasn't that their process was broken. It was just okay. Like let's move on to the next piece. And I think if you're 16 or 17 and you're listening to that, finding finding a way to handle some of the failures that are inevitable in baseball, if you can handle them like that, you're gonna be you're gonna be so much better off because you're gonna be able to move on. You're gonna be able to compete better. You're going to be a better teammate. Like, I think it's so important. Yeah, we had a um, – in 21 – yeah, 21, when we had the shortened COVID year, um, another – I didn't know that Coach Pollard played at um, Davidson, but our, our football coach at RPI was – he played at – he played football and baseball at Davidson. He played for Cookie, um, and he played with Coach Breddy for, I, I believe, a year. Um, but he had helped me out because we were short on staff and everything, and – you know, the one day he he finally said to the guys after, I don't know, like a fourth or fifth game, mind you, we haven't, as you guys know, we haven't played in like a year. Um, he was like, you know, if you guys talk to to your friends the way that you talk to yourself, like you would have no friends. <laughs> Some of you guys are so negative in your self-talk that like you, you like if you like think about it that way, like if you were to talk to other people that way, like nobody would like you. Nobody would want to hang out with you because you're so negative. Like, how can you legitimately think that you're going to go to the plate and succeed? And one of the hardest things to do 
when all you continually do is tell yourself that you're not good and you can't hit. Like eventually you're like, it's the same thing, you know, the fake it till you make it. Like eventually it's going to be like, yeah, I'm not good enough to do this. So like, so then why are you shocked every time you go up there and you get out? Like, why are you mad? You just told yourself for the last two weeks that you're not good enough. You know, so I, I, and it, it was, it was interesting to hear because obviously, you know, I, I wasn't in the dugout and I, I wasn't able to actually hear those things, but to hear him say that, um, and, and to, to, to say it that way to the, the guys, I was like, that's, you know, I've never really heard it put that way, but that makes so much sense to me. You know, it, this is such a tough game and, and like, we're all, we've all fell victim to it when you played this game, right? Like no one ever, like the very rarely do you go into it every single day and be like, I'm the best. Like there's going to be days where you're like, <laughs> I am a bad baseball player, yeah. um, you know, but eventually, you, can, you know, you can turn it around. But like the the constant, you know, being negative with your self-talk, like it it, it really does start to kind of show itself eventually. But I just I, I coach coach Isernia shout out to him. Um, you know, he was I laughed. He's like, if you guys talk to people the way that you talk to yourself, like you'd have no friends like this is just negative. <laughs> I was like, wow, that's true. Um, you know, but it's, it's huge in this game and it's, I've said it to you guys, it's a stupid game. I love this game, but it's stupid. Like you throw a ball into an arbitrary zone and some guy tells you whether it's good or not. And then you hit it with a stick and you don't get anything when you hit it, right? Like, unless you hit it out of the field, you don't get anything. You still have to touch four bases to get a point. Like, that's so stupid when you think, like, when you think about it in that term, you're like, this is the dumbest game that we play. <laughs> like it's so stupid but at the same time it's the best game in my personal opinion that you can possibly do but like you know you break it down to that point you're like this is like who came up with this this is so dumb but it's also the best so i digress here that's my that's my wisdom for tonight thanks for coming to my ted talk everybody what um and i i think i know i think i know the answer to this question from you personally because i know you so well but how much like how how heavy are you on once you get guys to campus and even before they get there on like on getting guys in the weight room and, and getting them physical, right? Like, cause I, I think it's something that is like, I was big on it, but I, I wonder like, what is it like at, at your guys level? Like, do you guys try to get it kickstarted before they get to campus, like to amp them up or is it, you know, we take it, you know, guy by guy to see where they're at. No, I mean, we, we want them becoming the most powerful and explosive human beings they can as soon as they can. Um, we, we've got a kid in the 25 class that we joke about that. If he stops playing baseball, he'll just be a power lifter for his life. Cause if, <laughs> if he showed up on campus this year as a sophomore, he would have been in our top five strongest guys on the team. He would have been 16 competing with, you know, guys as old as 23. And I love that. he would, he would have been able to do anything. I got to, see him play this spring and i'm just like goodness gracious you are a fire hydrant with arms you are so strong <laughs> um but no i mean the the weight room's huge um coach siffler told the guys week one he's like if we don't look like one of the most physical teams in the acc this year i'm gonna throw up like <laughs> so i mean for he he wanted to set the tone on that very quickly um and i just Again, you watch the College World Series, you watch big league games like there aren't many guys playing at 172 pounds. Like, again, if you're playing at 172 pounds, you're running a 6360 and it plays faster than that. So it's it's hard to play this game the way, you know, it is in today's 
age and not be physical and not be powerful. You know, I think the average weight for LSU was like 207 and maybe the average for Florida was 205. Don't quote me on that. I could be off by a couple of pounds, but again, it's physical dudes playing, playing a game. So I, again, we, we, we want to be as aggressive in there as possible. Um, and we want our guys to push each other. Um, and for us, we were able to get um, everybody, but one of our freshmen to, to show up on campus um, already. So they're already working with our strength coach, they're lifting, they're in there uh, with him four days a week. Um, and so that's, you know, a huge piece. And, and again, part of that was we, we told him we don't necessarily care about, you know, how much weight or how much strength they'd get during the summer bridge program. We just wanted them to make sure they're moving in the weight room, right? They're moving correctly. They're getting used to being college athletes. So that's a little bit different, but for us, we just feel like then when they're back for the fall and the start, you know, there is no, you know, teaching time. It's, Hey, like, let's just go, let's just go get after it. Now let's, you know, go see how strong. And again, if they're just thinking about how they're moving and trying to do things right, they get stronger anyways, but we don't want them to be thinking initially of, Oh, I've got to go put on 10 pounds during, during summer bridge program. Like just go move correctly, move the weight properly, be healthy, and, you know, things will will trend in the right direction. Um, and when going through the recruiting process or after guys are committed, I think more so we just have to make sure we just start teaching them the culture of, you know, how important the weight room is to us. It's not going to be a, hey, lift when you want to, lift when you feel good. Like guys in the big leagues lift, you know, several times a week and they're playing six days a week. Like you think they you think they feel good. <laughs> like it's probably not probably not the case. Like. You if you want to play at a high level, you have to lift through being tired, lift through being sore. You have to play through being being tired. Like the the days of you feeling good all the time or feeling good when you get to play, like that just doesn't exist in college baseball. No, we used to we joked in college when Andy and I played that it was you know if your arm felt good, you had to worry about it. Like (laughs) your arm feels great today. Like what's going on there? it's not supposed to feel that great in game 54 day season. No, that's coach Pollard used to joke with me. He's like, he's like, how many days do you long toss week? I was like six. He's like, so you long toss to either feel good or to get sore. I was like, yeah, if I'm sore, I throw till I feel good. If I feel good, I throw till I get sore, but I'm just going to throw. <laughs> Same way. Just throw, just, just throw as much as you can. And, some days it felt good and some days it didn't. And the days it didn't feel good, you just you just made sure you had the bullet you needed when you had when you had to make a good throw. Otherwise, just get it get it across the infield. Uh, 100%. Throw, throw hard 100%. enough so that your coach doesn't yell at you for flipping the ball over there. That was one thing I always had to worry about. Jerry Rax would he'd give it to me if uh if I ever flipped one over there and it didn't it didn't go well. That was never good. He'd rather have me throw it into the parking lot if I threw if I threw it away, I better have thrown it really hard. So um, what, all right, so this that question, it's a huge piece of the puzzle, and the, the physicality is is massive for high school kids in, in the transition of the college game. But I want to get your thoughts on – you've watched a lot of kids transition from high school to college, and I'm sure you've seen some guys who've done it really successfully, and I'm sure you've seen some guys who those first six months can be a little bit of a, 
a little bit of a slap in the face. Like what are some of the commonalities that you see for freshmen that, that make that transition? Well, not necessarily just on the field, but just that overall transition to college. Um, I think honestly, it starts off with just physical strength. Um, I think your, your body's just not used to what you have to do, um, at the college game. Like there are, kids across the country who are like, yeah, I do a good job. I work hard and you do, but it's still different of like now all of a sudden, you know, freshmen are, they're practicing six days a week and they're still coming back to hit extra or come back and get ground balls and they're lifting three or four times a week. So like they're just putting their bodies through something they're not used to. And so having the physical strength, I think is important because it one just allows you to keep up with the guys older than you. And like a lot of times kids don't think about it this way, but like when you're a freshman in high school, like you don't show up, play on varsity and are the three hole hitter, but it like guys will get to college and they'll be like, Ooh, I'm going to get here and I'm going to hit four twelve as a freshman in college. Like, no, there, there is a bigger gap between being a 15 year old to an 18 year old versus an 18 year old to a 22 year old. So I think just having the physical strength is, is something that a lot of times guys don't, don't understand. Um, and that's where like I get caught up is so many guys are trying to do baseball specific lifts, which has a ton of value. I don't, I don't want to devalue that at all, but I think just doing your Olympic lifts and getting just mass and strength, I think has plenty, plenty of success and will help translate to the next level. And you can always do plenty of baseball specific stuff, but I think, I, I think you are missing out on some development or some physical strength. If you're just doing baseball specific stuff, like go squat a lot, go deadlift a lot, go bench press a lot, like just put a bunch of weight on a bar and move it. Like you'll get stronger and that'll help you be a better baseball player too. And then we can work on the specific stuff in addition to that. And then kind of what we talked about earlier, just the, the ability to handle failure, um, because I think that will apply in the classroom and that will apply on the field. And just when, if you know how to handle failure, you know, you know, how to react and what to do when things aren't always going according to plan. And that's going to be something you're going to have to get used to because mom and dad no longer preparing your meals for you. Um, no one's, you know, telling you, Hey, you have to wake up and go to school. Like you have to, you have to take ownership and accountability of, of your life and the decisions you're going to do if, Hey, you know, you're a skinny freshman. You've got to find a way to add strength and mass. Okay. Are you actually eating enough or are you just eating when it's convenient? Like the kids who want to get bigger, they grab an extra smoothie. They grab an extra muscle milk. They grab an extra peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And they just make sure they're eating throughout the day. Like those are easy decisions, but not all those kids make those decisions. So I think just handling, you know, when things aren't going the right way, and and knowing how to you know react and go from there go go a long way to guys being productive um throughout their freshman year pb and j in the backpack goes a long way yeah for us yeah it's you know it's 20 years ago and you know it, life hasn't changed that much it's still calories no, and it's it's actually, I'm sure there's some some science behind it, but some of that sugar and stuff, and then you get the protein. Like there's there's value in it calorically as well. So you know if you're nothing wrong with just having one of those to go. 
I might make one tomorrow now. <laughs> a little Fourth of July PB and J. That's a good. I love PB and J. It's a good America America snack. Did you just say caloric? I did. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I, I don't know if I've ever said that word before, except for today. Harris degree is paying off for you. Yeah. Hey, you know, Red Foxes, baby. Red Not Fox. all of us went to Duke. <laughs> oh, yeah, there was a trap. There was a trap door that I was able to sneak through. <laughs> uh, well, the question that we always end things with, Keith, I'm going to give you the honors, but let's let's close this one out with our our usual. Ooh, I had first and last. All right. Um, Last question, Ryan. We bookended here. What advice, however many bullet points you want here, but what advice would you give to an incoming freshman going to play college baseball this fall? Reach out to the older guys and just pick their brand. I think I think you can't you can't teach experience. And so I think when you can, when you can lean on it, you need to, uh, I mean, that's what, that's why everybody wants guys out of the portal these days, right? Like they want experience. They want guys who who know how to play the game and who have had success or have handled failures. So I, I think just being, being able to sit there and say, Hey, I don't know everything. I don't exactly know what is coming is, is a smart move to assume that, you're going to play the same game that you played for the past 18 years of your life would be kind of naive. Like it's a, nothing is that simple. The game is going to move faster. Like, I don't care if you're the best player in the country, like there's going to be an adjustment period. So find a way to, to get close with some older guys and lean on their experience as often as you can. Um, Whether it's, you know, just learning how to interact socially with your teammates, you know, everyone always wants to talk about how good they were in high school. Like you don't need to be that guy. Like you're not in high school anymore. Like you're in college and you're talking to guys who have been, you know, first team, all ACC players, like they've been really good in the ACC. They don't care about the fact that you hit 385 in high school anymore. So like, it doesn't matter. You're not in high school. So, you know, talk to those guys, learn how to be good in college and, you know, let your high school success be something that you build upon, but that's not something you fall back on because it doesn't matter anymore. So, uh, and again, coaches, we want to be able to help, you know, we want to be able to share our experience as well, obviously, but I think some of the the really good teams that I've been able to be a part of, the older guys have taken some ownership and I've tried to reach out to the younger guys and try to pull them along and not let them just be freshmen. But I think some of the the young freshmen who have been successful, they have kind of taken some ownership and been been aggressive to, you know, go go do extra work with older guys. And it's hey, well, you know, what like when do you go hit extra? Like, oh hey, I'm gonna go hit with coach, you know, at this time. Like, you want to come along? Yeah, man, like that'd be great. And so, um, you know, one of the best teams we had at Davidson, we had uh, we had a senior and a sophomore that were both competing for the same position, and they were two really good friends and they love to come hit extra together. And it was, it was great. And they both had great mindsets of the younger guys. Like I'm either going to push this guy and he's going to be really good and we're going to have a great year, or I'm going to keep working and I'm going to beat him out and we're going to have a really good year. And the older guy is like, this is great. He's going to push me. I'm going to get better. Or 
I'm going to find a way to, you know, I'm going to win this job and I'm going to pull him along with me. And that way, you know, the program can be in a good position. So I think, you know, just being, being able to sit there and say, Hey, I've had a good career. Now I'm taking the next jump. I don't know everything. I need some help. Let me talk to some of my teammates who have been there, who have done that. Let me hear what they have to say about what's helped them be successful. That was a good one to end on. I like the, <laughs> I like the piece on like, nobody cares what you did in high school and it couldn't be, it couldn't be more true. Like nobody likes the guy who walks in and talks about, you know, that day he went three for four in the state championship game. Like, that's great. Like we're trying to win the ACC now. So it doesn't matter. Like, no, I, what, are you, what are you, what are you going to do to help us win here? I, I was crying in my head one time. There was a freshman who was talking to the kid who just won player of the year, the year before in our conference. And he was talking about his high school stats. I was like, my man just led the country in on base percentages and hit 21 homers and was the best player in the conference. You think he cares about your high school batting average? <laughs> Likely not. <laughs> Likely not. Uh, well, Ryan, cannot thank you enough for coming on today, man. It's always good to see you. I know we we talk frequently, but we've uh, been awaiting your presence, and we're glad we were able to hash out some time to get you on here so you could drop some knowledge on the folks. So uh, deeply appreciate it, and um, really glad we got a chance to talk to you today. Likewise. I appreciate it, fellas. Thanks for having me on. Thanks, Ryan. See you guys. Well, for those of you who uh, got a chance to watch this, go ahead and hit the like button on YouTube if you're listening it. to it. Uh, go ahead and follow us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, and you can find us on social media at EMD Baseball. Um, thanks again for coming.